Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. You can either read along in your Bible or you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 816, 816. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was, was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, indeed. Happy Father's Day to you. It's a privilege to be back here with you as a congregation. We worshiped last August as a family here in your new facility. I think the last time I opened God's Word with you, though, was at the end of January, two Sundays of January, uh, at the very beginning of 2020. Some substantial things have happened since that was last year. And so I do come by greetings of the Mid-South Church Planting Network. I'm its ministry coordinator. We represent four presbyteries in the Mid-South area. We have seven active church plants taking place right now. And one of my big jobs is really to encourage us in how to be obedient to the Great Commission through church planting, because we believe that's one of the most effective ways to reach the next generation for Christ in many places that are unreached with, for Christ. And you need to know again, right, that, that America itself is becoming the greatest mission field in the world. And so it is my privilege to lead our network and to find planters, assess them, recruit them, develop places and locations. So thank you for praying for me. You, you may remember that some of you prayed for me even last, uh, that last year. We lost a church planter who died of stage four cancer. I'm grateful to report that by the grace of God, another man and his wife will come and hopefully be on the field in January of 2022. So keep praying. And we're also thankful uh, to, I'm also thankful to communicate to you that Trinity Church in Collierville is doing quite well. I preached there last Sunday. Hunter Brewer is their pastor, the former director of the network. And so uh, thank you for supporting that work and supporting the efforts in the Mid-South to reach the next generation for Christ. And you say, well, why do we need to plant more churches? Well, you probably don't know that there are 60% fewer churches now than there were 100 years ago per capita. There are lots of lost people and most people still don't go to church as in the days of the Apostle Paul, right? So please pray for my work and thank you that you support uh, my work and this work here in the Mid-South uh, area. As we think uh, about life this summer, as we think about vacation, you've had many conversations. You took a lot of time planning. Where would you go for vacation? And so as those folks come back, your friends, maybe yourself, you come back from 30A or some distant lake destination or a river outing or a mountaintop experience or some all-inclusive that you saved up a lot of money for, and you come back and you ask something of this sort, right? Something that sounds like this. Man, I think I need a vacation for my vacation. How do I get that? You even on your vacation, you were worrying about your vacation, right? You were, can I find rest? Did I sleep in enough? Did I eat too much? What in the world happened, right? Rest for us in this life, particularly as Americans, is a frenetic life, is it not? And so we are often driven by how can we appropriate time for rest, so we say, 
we need more time. Or we say, if I go to that place, if I go to that, that childhood memory place where I always love to go with my family, if I go there, surely I will find rest. And you sometimes spend the whole time there worrying about your family and finding no rest. You see, rest is very elusive, is it not? And I think it's elusive because we are obviously most often not trying to find rest in a person described in this passage as the one alone who gives us rest, right? Jesus Christ has come to bring rest to a lost, to a weary world. Isaiah 9 talks about the ushering in of of the Son of God, right? That the government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And what we have before us this morning is, is Jesus' words that allow us, if you will, to look through the veil and to see the heart of our Heavenly Father who cares about his people and their souls who long and need rest. Jesus' prayer right here contains true intimacy and a humble invitation for weary disciples. And so, if you are weary and you are heavy laden, there is hope for you this morning. Let's pray and ask God to bless the word that's read and even our time in his word. Father, help us open our ears. We're a mixed bag of people. Some come excited and joyful and thankful for the week ahead. Others are dreading it. Some of us are bored, we're numb, we're cold. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are longing for things to happen that we can't change in our lives. You know all of our hearts, all of our situations. You know every thought and intention we've ever had. So would you come, O Holy Spirit, and speak to us through this word and through the one who preaches his sins are many. May we see Jesus and find rest in him alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a couple years ago being in Chattanooga with my wife, visiting some friends at a missions conference, hearing more about the Great Commission in the world. And as we went out to church, after we went out to eat after church, we were walking along the streets. We met a homeless man who came up earnestly and begged and said, "Hey, can can you guys just give us a few bucks? I need. Can you go? Can you all give us a few dollars? Me, a few dollars." And I said, "Well, you know, I never carry cash, but but tell me about you." How can we uh, pray for you? What do you need? Are you connected to a church? And this man went into telling a story about his life and about how he became homeless and, and even his struggles in trying to find a church. And as he was telling the story, um, you know, preachers are terrible listeners. I am one of those. I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering non-listener, right? So as I'm talking to him, he's telling the story, and I sort of like, I think I know where the story's going. So I said, so it sort of kind of worked out like that, didn't it? And, and he just, he stopped. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, look, preacher, if you would just listen, I will tell you the story. It was a humbling moment. And a reminder, and then that man went on to pray for me and my wife and that couple in ways that I haven't had pastors pray for me before, all because I wasn't really listening. Listening really is the hardest part. We are terrible listeners by nature, and we would often say in our own spiritual life and our families, say, if I would have only listened to so-and-so and such-and-such, if I would only heeded what God had said, what Jesus had said to me, 
how different my life would be. Americans are terrible listeners. And at the same time, not only terrible listeners, we are the most educated people in the history of the world. Do you realize that more than 80% of the churches around the world, according to Third Mill and Richard Pratt and his statistical studies, have shown that 80% of the churches around the world have pastors who have never had a single solitary Bible class. And yet, 80% of the world is growing like crazy in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ compared to here in America, right? And 90% of all the Christian workers in the world, do you know where they reside? Right here in the borders of the great U.S. of A. And why do I say all that? Because we are people who are around experts and professionals, so-called wise men on every single webpage and everything we've ever read, right? But in this passage, you see, Jesus offers us divine knowledge and understanding that only he can give and only he can impart through his word and the power of his spirit. The real question for us this morning is, are you listening. Jesus says something profound. It seems almost childlike, which is a very important part of this passage. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And if Jesus gives us ears to hear this morning, I hope you will hear about this intimate hope that that Jesus has for us, that he's purchased for us, that he gives away to us. And I also hope you hear a humble invitation that he gives to you as well this morning. Let's look at verses 25 to 27 where we see Jesus giving us an intimate hope. Jesus gives us an intimate hope. We find comfort in what Jesus prays in these opening verses. And here, Jesus prays relationally about the church. He begins his prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, the cosmos. And you have hidden these things from the wise the experts, right? And you've revealed them even to the little ones, children like like those before us, right? Jesus begins this prayer with gratitude, but you need to know that humanly speaking, he is being squeezed in on every side. His family thinks he's crazy. His disciples really don't trust him. The religious leaders are calling him a drunk, on the one hand, and in another moment, they're calling him a demon, working for Satan, for the kingdom of darkness. He is being squeezed on every side, and yet here Jesus steadies himself with gratitude in prayer by the infinite knowledge of the Father's power and authority given over to him. As Colossians 1.15 says, all things are held together in Jesus. He's the super glue of the universe. Everything is held together in him. And Jesus celebrates a revealed kingdom that is received by faith. Faith, which is a gift that none of us can produce. It's a grace producing mercy and and kindness towards us. And it's for people who are like children, who are outcasts, who are spiritual orphans, spiritually homeless, who are not counted in the ranks of many of our circles. And yet, Jesus is thankful. He delights. He realizes his mission is alive and well, even in the midst of people calling him all kinds of names and describing him as even a demon of Satan. 
we see these beautiful words. He even says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will to reveal these things. So we find comfort in what Jesus prays, but we also find communion in how Jesus prays in verse 27. All things, right, have been handed over to me by my Father. Again, all things. The superiority of Jesus' life and ministry. And the term handed over was a term used by Right, religious leaders of that day to talk about how they were handing over the law to the people that they ruled over. And they handed down a substantial amount of laws beyond the Ten Commandments. And they even used that law, they twisted and bent that law, right, to hand Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. Jesus and Matthew recording Jesus' life and ministry is recording what Jesus says what is being handed over. Jesus has all things handed over to him. That is his people and his church and the cosmos belong to him. All things, he says, everything has been handed over to him. It's a beautiful picture of being entrusted to Jesus by our Heavenly Father and Jesus praying and rejoicing over his mission and work in prayer. And the phrase, no one knows, describes a deep and intimate communion shared uniquely by the Father and the Son. And then astonishingly, astonishingly, we have this language as well, but he, that is Jesus, also prays to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus is the Son who communes with his family, with his brothers and sisters, with the church that belong to him. And we have this privilege to be gathered together in his name and for worship even this morning. Right? This, this is the family secret. And the family secret you know is this, that Jesus Christ, as we know him, we move from the courtroom of our justification, as we even recited by confession this morning, we move from the courtroom of our justification to the living room of our adoption, that we are family in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, during COVID and during your life, speaking about family and the living room, what are you all talking about? What are the discussions around your table? Pre-vacation, post-vacation. What's everybody talking about? One thing I've realized listening to church planters and many of my friends who traveled like crazy before COVID, they had a, as a church planter rightly said, a forced sabbatical, which meant they got to learn about their kids and their wives and and conversely, the same situation, uh, guys are at home. What, I don't know how to be at home. I'm usually on the road. I'm usually at the office by now. Oh, we don't want you at the office. You might be sick. We want you home. And the amazing thing has happened that people actually began to pray with and for their wives. And some children got converted around family tables over family worship. There were amazing things that happened in the midst of that chaos and darkness, Right? So what are our conversations? What are we really talking about? What is worth talking about? What are we talking about anyway? There's talking heads and podcasts on every single app. 
So how do we think about our lives? You know, I, I thought spending time at the Ole Miss camp on Friday night with my son and thinking about Ole Miss athletics, I said, yeah, I, thought I was thinking even about Sunday morning, does the lane train, is it going to make it to the station or is it going to go through the station, right? Is there anything that's really going to happen to Ole Miss football, being a football player like 30 years ago? And what if we did have Elko and some better – would we have made it to the world? Would we have made it to the championship college, college World Series? Would that have happened? What about the Ole Miss women who won the national championship? People should be excited about that. But the first question is, will they repeat again next year? And I don't know. That's a great question. Let's go to that, let's go to that board, that board of boards. Let's read about what's happening. You see, we really – not – wrong with any of those things. But in comparison to what Jesus is saying, those are dribble. Those things don't matter. They are passing like shadows in the day and sand upon the ground. And here we have this message of grace, this gospel of hope, an intimate communion with Christ and his people. This is worth talking about with one another. This is where the gospel must be on our lips and be a part of our conversation because Christ gives us an intimate hope. But also, secondly, we see in verses 28 to 30, Jesus gives us a humble invitation. He gives us a humble invitation. Notice there is a command by Jesus to find rest. It's more of an idiom, and it's like, wake up, listen, pay attention. But here Jesus prays with urgency for the church, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And the key question of this, this verse, right, is who is this all, right? Who is the all? And we sang about this morning. I don't know, somehow Randall did an amazing job and he synced up everything I was going to say, but, but we sang about it. All the fitness that he requires is what? For you to feel your need of him. And, the, and we sang, and this he gives you because you can't get it. It has to be given and received. It's the blessing of Jesus. All who are weary. So the only really question, are you weary? Do you know your weariness? Maybe you should be weary. Maybe these verses, are, these verses have to be the hardest verses for American evangelicals to pry our dead, cold hands off self, right? And Jesus is saying, please, let me take your hands off yourself and let me place my hands on you and give you the grace as a weary person filled with brokenness and darkness in your own life. Are the cruel question, right? Are you going to Jesus with your weariness and heavy burdens? You can only medicate so much. You can only be distracted on your phone so much. It still keeps coming around. It's always a screen being refreshed in your mind. Who will deal with my weariness and my heavy burdens? And Jesus is saying, it's me. And there is no one like me. So that is the challenge really before us this morning. Jesus promises rest Today in himself. And you say, what kind of rest? And what kind of rest do I need? And what am I I resting from? The Bible is saying that Jesus gives us rest from our sin against God in himself. 
And sin is both the way we think and feel and act. So this rest that Jesus needs to give us, as philosophers call, we need cognitive rest. We need a place where our minds can rest. Jesus says, I'm that. We need a place where our heart and our affections need to rest. We, we are nuts. And the meds aren't working. Who will give me rest? Jesus says, I will do that. I will do it. And physical rest, of course you need that. And I even gave you a day to have rest. You see, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is the hope of our rest. He is the telos. He is the end game of all rest. And it's being offered today, not in some bright heavenly place. No, heaven's come down. His name is Jesus. And he says, I will give you rest today if you will come to me. Jeremiah 31, 25 says this, for I satisfy the weary and refresh everyone who languishes. Let me say it again. For I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Jeremiah is saying this Jesus is the new covenant promise to you and me that we might have rest. And all Jesus is saying is, are you listening? Are you going to come to me for rest? Notice there's a command to find rest. But finally and lastly, there is a calling to live by mercy. Verses 28, 29, and 30. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I, he says, am gentle and lowly in heart. Here is a unique place in the Bible where Jesus tells us what he is like as the God-man. He is the one who could cast the mountains into the sea and move the Milky Way to another galaxy in a New York minute. And yet he says of himself, I am gentle and lowly. I commend you Dane Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly. It was one of the things I think that saved my soul in 2020 that God used. It's a reminder of how we so often look to the work of Christ and forget the person of Christ who says, I know you're weary and I am gentle and lowly. I'm a safe place. You can come to me. I can handle it. Do you trust me? Will you look to me? You see, what is the yoke that Jesus is talking about? It is nothing less than the discipleship. It is the learning of following Jesus and resting in him. It is learned humility, which bears fruit in our lives as we follow Jesus into mission. One of the great travesties in the church, and one of the reasons why many of our young people are leaving the church is because we've just separated discipleship from mission, and that was never intended by Jesus. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to go make a mess and come back and talk to him and go make a mess and come back and talk to him, go make a mess and come back and talk to him. It's cyclical. They didn't know how to heal certain demons. We got to go talk to Jesus about this. But we live in a world, if we have the right information, we'll do the right things. And that's a lie. It's a lie from the world. It's a lie of our own flesh. If I just have the right information, our problem is not an information problem. It is a heart problem. And when we take learning and disconnect it, to, disconnect it from going, we're in deep danger of leaving our kids 
without a mission. Are Bible studies good? Of course they are. Prayer meetings? Absolutely. Celebrate the prayer meetings that happen between churches. Wonderful. But if those prayer meetings don't lead to work meetings, right? If they don't lead us sending out to other people and loving the lost around us, then we are trying to perfect Christianity without the perfect work of Christ. Discipleship is about going. And going is about the kingdom of heaven. His mercy, you see, enables us to embrace our failures and the failures of others. And you said, say what? First of all, I'm not interested in embracing any of my failures. And I'm clearly not interested in embracing the failures of that other person across the room from me at this table. In my office, in my home, in my church. Jack Miller says this very simply. Discipleship is screwing up in front of others. Right? We're, We're professionally manically incompetent. And the silliness is we are trying to dress competency up with how we can perform. And Jesus says, you failed in all circumstances. I bring you rest. I bring you mercy. Would you come to me? And the good news is this, that God is nothing like us. He is never anything like the conventions that you have made of God in your mind. He is not as hard of taskmaster as you are. And he's more gracious than you can ever imagine. Isaiah 55 says this, 55a, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Either are your ways like my ways, declares Yahweh. Why else would Jesus say, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not like any other person you know. And that's good news. Because we are always calibrating God on our terms, according to our own intellect, and not according to what he has said of who he is and what he is doing in our lives and in the world. When Jesus finally rested his shoulders on the cross in death for you and me, he brought life and he poured out mercy with his blood. And this ought to make us the most hopeful and humble people on the face of the earth. And finally, right, Christ's mercy produces in us a freedom and a dependence upon him. That is, he is helping us tie our soul to eternity, to things that will last. We're always trying to tie ourselves to temporal things that will pass away. Jesus says, if you take my yoke upon you, if you come to me, not only will I deal with your weariness, I will deal with your souls. And your souls will last forever. Matthew 5, 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, those who have received mercy, for they shall receive mercy. Right? I recently had a dear friend, mentor, slightly older than myself, but a dear brother in the faith. And I remember one day as I was driving around on some of my travels for the Mid-South Church Planning Network, and he said, with this, he's he's 6'6". You can hear the 6-6 through the phone. And he just says, brother, how is your soul doing? You know, and I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, that's a, hey, I'm kind of busy. I'm coming out of Home Depot. My soul, I should, I should be asking questions about my soul. Yes, my soul. That's, that's the thing that's going to last forever, right? But it's the thing we least talk about, probably, or think much about in our own lives. God made us with bodies and tied them to souls that will last forever. And Jesus came to deal with both, body and soul, 
that will last forever and ever. How is your soul this morning? How are you doing with eternity in your hearts? Since every man, woman, and child has eternity in their hearts. How are you doing with your soul? Have you found rest in Christ? One of my favorite campus ministers back in the day used to say, are you struggling to be free or are you free to struggle? Are you finding rest in Jesus or are you wrestling away from him to try to find rest on your own? Ultimately is what he was saying. And this morning, Jesus invites us to ask this question of ourselves, of our souls, to consider our spiritual lives that will last forever, whether we're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you're running away from Christ or you're running after Christ, where is your soul? Augustine, who wrestled a lot with life in his own unbelief, in his ungodly living, said, we, obviously, he says this beautifully, right, better than anybody, we are restless until we find our rest in Jesus. Are you finding rest in Jesus? There is nobody like Jesus. He is gentle and lowly, and Christ gives us a humble invitation to know him and to come to him. A few weeks ago, as I was sitting at the beach, I noticed all my boys kind of playing together. They didn't really need me anymore. It's kind of sad. And then at one point, they were, my youngest son was on the shoulders of my next oldest son, and they were walking through the surf, and he was on his shoulders plowing through the waves, looking like a lot of fun, having a lot more fun than me sitting on the beach. And as I looked at them, I said, hey, I used to do that with them. I mean, what are these young men thinking? (laughs) I'm left out, so to speak. But then it hit me. Uh, I said to myself, well, that's discipleship, Donnie. That's, That's what you want, right? That's what you want. You want your son's to shoulder their lives together. You want to, be bur- you want to be buoyed up by the help and encouragement of others. This is why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted, and bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Watch your life and help others with their lives. They're not mutually exclusive. Watch your life Ask God to help you with your soul. Give it to him. And then go bear the burdens of others who need to be reminded that Jesus is a friend of sinners like you and me. That is the real hope of your slogan, of your mission statement, right? Proclaiming a hope. What is this hope? It is nothing less than the rest and peace of Christ, which, which builds this home, the church, the body of Christ. It's not a building. It's the people. And what, what do you often hear and say from the front up here? What, what launches a healing, which sends you on mission out into this community? And, of course, what that, those three things really mean, right, hope, home, and healing, is that Jesus and Jesus alone is shouldering the weary nations. Let me remind you quickly that your pastor's shoulders aren't big enough. Your retirement accounts... They're not big enough. You don't have enough days in this life to be without Jesus. And kids, your parents, they're flawed. Their shoulders aren't big enough. But today, your heavenly father comes to you in the presence and the reality of his son 
and he says, I will make you my disciples. And he places our salvation and our lives upon his shoulders so we can find rest in him today. Are you listening? And if you are, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest that will last forever. Let's pray. Father, we would have no idea that you love the hairs upon our head, the lives that we live before you had you not sent your son Jesus, who put on flesh, who offered himself up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that we would have mercy, we would find hope, and we would receive the peace of God today, and not just for today, but forevermore. Would you help us to look to Jesus, to come to him with our weariness, And would you transform our minds and our hearts to live for things that will last forever and abandon the things that are perishing today? Would you help us, we beg. In Jesus' name, amen.